Hello and welcome to another episode of Conversations in Cocoa. I'm Lauren Heineck, the host and producer of this podcast. This series stems from over six years of industry work, conversations with peers, collaborators, and mentors. You can find more of my writings and stay updated to future podcasts at laurenontheweekend.substack.com. That's WKND, as well as find me on Twitter at Weekend Chocolate and Instagram Lauren on the Weekend. If you're in a position to support these podcasts and find this content useful, please think about becoming an annual subscriber. Thanks again for your support. I really appreciate you. Today, in conversation with Arif Khan, founder of Cacao Fiji. I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to connect with you because it's been many years that I've followed the progress of Cacao Fiji. And obviously, globally, the last two years have been putting us all through different tests of how we might move forward together as societies, businesses. My goal to speak with you today is just to learn a little bit more about what some of the actual impacts on the ground are and how we might do a better job of moving forward collaboratively. So thank you again for making the time today. Thank you, Lauren. I really appreciate you uh, having me on your podcast. This is Arif, founder of Cacao Fiji. Fiji is an island country in the, uh, in the Melanesian part of uh, Oceania. Our neighbors are New Zealand and Australia. It is beautiful out there. Think about Fiji, think about Fiji water. Uh, it does have white sandy beaches. The population of the island is uh, just under a million. As far as uh, you know, cocoa is concerned, it was actually introduced in the late uh, 18th century by the British fire uh, Ceylon, which is Sri Lanka and Trinidad. And they actually had introduced some very interesting uh, Criollo and later Forestero and then Trinitario as well. So we have some exotic flavors over there. The, the major industry for uh, Fiji is tourism. Obviously, we've been you know, badly affected by the COVID lockdowns for the last two years. So that's, that's where Fiji is. I can give you a little background about how I got into the cocoa business. Actually, I was born in uh, the Fiji Islands and, and grew up over there. As a kid, uh, when we went towards the capital city of Suva, along the road, we, we saw the bright yellow cocoa pods. It was actually, actually also taught in the school curriculum as one of the major exports. And this had actually, you know, stuck in my mind about cocoa. And over the years, it had declined, unfortunately, and, and we'll discuss um, what were the reasons. But this is something which really stood out. And, you know, there are cocoa centers, cocoa roads, name after cocoa, there are cocoa towns. They're still existing, unfortunately, it declined. And, but we are on a journey of reviving it. After Fiji, I actually had uh, lived in the Bay Area. I was in the real estate industry. But around 2012, I was looking to go back to Fiji, uh, to home, and uh, engage myself in the agriculture sector. Actually, I thought about single-origin coffee. I actually have coffee growing wildly. But I had stopped by a, an office, the agricultural office in Rekireki, which is where one of our processing centers are. 
and you know discovered stacks of cocoa beans that was actually sitting for a while and actually uh, getting bad. This actually inspired uh, my journey in finding markets for Fiji cacao and uh, you know help revive the industry. So I came back to San Francisco, you know, talked to a few of the industry players. She went to Dandelion Chocolate and, and talked to them whether they'd be interested. And there was sort of an inspiration to export from Fiji to, to the U.S. market. So a little history about uh, the Fijian cocoa industry. Up until 1987, the uh, Fijian cocoa industry had actually produced and exported close to 500 metric tons. This was sizable. And we actually had close to 3,000 hectares of uh, cocoa farming land. But unfortunately, in 1987, there was changes in political uh, situation. There was a military coup in Fiji. Around the same time, there was changes in the world market. And we had a single buying agency, the National Marketing Authority. And there was changes in the government policy, and they stopped buying cocoa almost overnight. And this was very disruptive to the farmers and you know, created a lot of bad memories. And you know, they still talk about it uh, when we go out and meet them. So from there on, actually, our industry has been on decline and hasn't really recovered since uh, because there hasn't been, you know, the, the real collaborated effort by the different stakeholders to revive it in a strategic way. But, you know, the last few years, we have spearheaded a revival. There are some small uh, producers as well and exporters. I think mainly through the efforts of Cacao uh, Fiji, we have been able to create international market for beans to North America, France, New Zealand, and Australia. And we you know, continue to export uh, to these markets. Really, I'd say while previously Fiji was exporting and competed on the bulk market and the bulk commodity, which is unsustainable for Fiji, you know, due to a high cost of production, the craft chocolate revolution has really helped inspire and revive the Fiji origin cacao Along in 2015, we uh, received an international cocoa award, Paris, France, a top 50 recognition, which actually created a lot of awareness. We are very mindful to process our cocoa for the bean to bar chocolate makers. All our fermentation is central and it's under you know, watchful eyes as well as uh, the drying is under the sun. So that's a little background about you know, how I got involved in the cocoa industry in Fiji. Excellent. Thank you for taking that opportunity to share with us. Always when we talk about cocoa and the expansion of trade routes and where things came from and now where they're going, I'm sort of fascinated by the continuation of either legacies or, as you mentioned, the renaissance is happening in your region. But before we go into that, I would just love to touch back on when there was bulk processing, who was purchasing the 500 tons you spoke of? Okay. So this was primarily run by the state, the government. It was funded by the government along with, I think the World Bank had uh, initiated the funding of this. And they saw it as a commodity. There were major projects. Uh, so a project would be evolving uh, maybe around uh, three to 400 hectares and they had their own you know, fermentation. When you look at the infrastructure, it's almost as similar to what we are doing today. I can assume they actually were producing very high you know, processed beans at that point in time with their own flavors. 
And the purchasing of it was a quasi government agency called the National Marketing Authority, which was the uh, central buying agency. There wasn't competition. It was, uh, it was all very centralized. And that could be one of the pitfalls as well. When you have only a single buyer, it wasn't competition. It wasn't diversified as opposed to today. You know, like I said, there was changes in the political situation and uh, declining the prices. You know, overnight, uh, the government had changed decisions to stop buying from the farmers. And this was likely heading towards international export that went on to create candies in the global north, or was there also a local market? No, there wasn't a local market. This was primarily the international market to create candies, etc. Got it. Okay. And the mention of the high cost of production, is that what we might gather as being an island nation that struggles with receiving supplies and resources, or what is that attributed to? So when we talked to the farmers, their payments at that time was very low. And I, I guess the world market prices were quite low. And Fiji, most of these farms are very, I would say they are located interior locations. So when we look at logistics of transporting those beans from very far areas, just the logistics uh, adds up to the costs. Apart from the logistics, so Fiji has up to 300 islands and they were also in different islands I've, I've come to know. So that added further to the cost. So it looks like, and I don't really have those figures, to be honest with you, but based on conversations, you know, the margin was, was quite low. It wasn't really profitable based on the world market prices and their cost of production and the, the logistics was driving the cost of prices up. And we face the same challenges today. Most of these farms are interior, the logistics aspect of it. We are, we are very concentrated. We know that there are cocoa beans in these exotic islands, which would uh, probably have unique flavors, but we haven't ventured out to maintain our cost of production, you know. But this is something which is exciting for the future as we establish ourselves and increase our volume and become profitable. We would like to bring unique experiences. For example, there are islands called Kandavu and there are islands called Kiowa. These are very exotic islands and they have cocoa farms. I found out that each island has its unique terroir. So within Fiji, we could actually have you know, different island flavor. Those are things to look for in the future once we really establish the industry. Absolutely. We have to keep dreaming. We have to keep yeah. believing that there will be more out there. Not to exploit, not to take advantage of, but to provide opportunities. You had mentioned just a couple of great points there about where you see things going. What are the current company goals, knowing that you're also still managing an ongoing international pandemic, a shifting market, and whatever else life might be throwing at you? Right, right. A lot is thrown and certainly has been very, very challenging. But we are really encouraged by the response from the craft chocolate industry, you know. So just based on my experience over the last seven years, we really see great potential in the Fiji cocoa industry, an opportunity to market the Fiji origin and the experience. You know, the farming community generally are in areas of high unemployment and high levels of poverty. So we are really satisfied by the tremendous social impact of cocoa farming in the final livelihood. Believe me. And this is very gratifying for us. You know, I did have a very tough upbringing. 
So this is one of the things which really touches me where we can go out, you know, buy from the cocoa farmers and impact their lives. And something we really experienced in 2021 where their source of income uh, was really, you know, sort of cut out due to the COVID and the lockdowns. There's great potential. And I feel that the, unfortunately, the sentiments are not shared by the respective stakeholders. And we've been very consistent about the fact that we see great potential in the Fijian cocoa industry. So with greater collaboration, I really think there could be a holistic revival. So some of our goals is to create greater awareness with the farmers, with the stakeholders, such as the Ministry of Agriculture, donor countries that come in, keep on reinvesting into the Fijian sugar industry. I think some of that could be diversified into maybe what we have embarked on is a cocoa acceleration program where we can go and do major new planting to increase our supply. Because what we are uh, inherited is old trees and we are revived that the yield is low. So really we want uh, higher yielding trees. A little bit, you know, uh, sort of research and development, etc. could really contribute to that. And really we wish you divert some of that funding towards the revival of cocoa via extension services, education, training, and development. As a small company, we are doing whatever we can in our little way, but with a greater collaboration, I think the impacts could be far greater. So I've mentioned that this year we are embarking on a cocoa acceleration program, working with the Ministry of Agriculture, uh, and we have targeted planting about 50,000 new uh, seedlings. Hopefully this would be a major step and, you know, this has actually taken us about uh, seven years to drive the message across to them that this is what, we, what is really needed. We want the, the active farmers to benefit from this. So hopefully within the next uh, four to five years, we are able to export, you know, 50 metric tons. That is the target, you know. We also would like to increase our farmer base. We are currently only working with about 100 farmers. We want it to increase to about 500 active farmers. And we don't see that very difficult to uh, achieve. Again, with collaboration through extension services with the Ministry of Agriculture, we could easily achieve that and then keep on increasing the farmer base, you know. Those are some of the goals of the company for, uh, you know, 2022. It's been a good start and we are optimistic on working along those goals. Of course, COVID disrupted many issues in supply chains and also just how people were communicating and what jobs they could do, where they could go. But in particular, I think you had a story to tell me about that. Yeah, actually, COVID lockdowns in Fiji were very challenging. You know, the farmers, they're communal farmers and they live in villages. They had to isolate and the villages were locked out. And unfortunately, they had challenges in getting uh, food, etc. So, you know, with the permission of the government officials, you know, our farms are isolated. So we continued our operation. We were able to work out a program where they were able to supply beans to us in exchange for food. This was a great story. They were so appreciative. And the message was sent across. And I think COVID has helped us gain more farmers who were interested that like there was no source of income from other farm products because the market didn't come to them. But here there was Cacao Fiji who was, who was going out to them, buying their beans and supplying them the food. 
this was a wonderful experience for us, which we hope will continue uncovering more farmers. The other thing I'd like to stress that is the impact of the global supply chain in Fiji. You know, our sort of geographic region, although we are the sort of we call ourselves the hub of the Pacific, um, the shipping has been very challenging, especially because of the fact that. We export one metric ton at a time or two metric tons. So these are sort of loose cargoes, not the containers. But we haven't been able to find shipping for the U.S. market, etc. We had no choice but to use our local airline, Fiji Airways, their direct connections to LAX and SFO. There has been a costly route. So this was explained to our buyers, the wholesale buyers and the direct buyers. You know, again, we are really appreciative to them. They understood the fact that this was temporary and the cost would be higher. This cost of air freight is higher. So this has been a challenge. Hopefully it will change. But, you know, we have a shipment to France, which we have a very hard time finding a shipping connection. And, and they're really sort of desperate for the beans. They've been calling it out since last year. Hopefully things will change this year. Air freight to France would be very difficult, but the U.S. is fine. <laughs> But that has been a, a real challenge, you know, the supply chain, the logistics. I wanted to add that. Yeah, there's still, unfortunately, temporary solutions to very big problems, which we need resolutions so that we can find a way to make it less costly, less environmentally impactful, and of course, serve the areas that, I don't know, make for a better world, which sounds so cliche, but what other choice <laughs> do we have? True. So, but hopefully, you know, we get the shipping connections. That has been a very big headache for us, for the loose cargoes, you know. We'll continue to face this problem until we start shipping containers of uh, cocoa beans. And again, you know, the supply, once the supply increases, then we have no problems uh, shipping, you know, 12 metric tons at a time. Gotcha. I really don't like generalizing, but I am curious if there's a particular farmer profile or maybe, you know, even where individuals find themselves right now, but that you're hoping or aiming for them, as you said, to be more diverse in their crops and their production or, you know, have more XYZ, uh, trying to get a better understanding of who is behind these beautiful beans. So, like I said, you know, when the industry was abundant, this were communal land. You know, there is no shortage of cocoa farming land. It's just not utilized. So I will give you a great success story of a recent farmer we uncovered. You know, sort of in his, they call it the, the Tay-Tay. They are farming land. You know, he sees these yellow pods, fruits, you know, and he doesn't know what to do with it. And he breaks one and brings it to... Our uh, manager for extension services, Mr. Bob uh, Fong Choi in Drakethi, you know, conversations lead to the um, visiting the site. And, you know, he had in inherited about 20, 30 acres of uh, wild-grown cocoa, you know. So this was actually recent. So we went, you know, taught him everything about harvesting, took harpers. Most of the trees were very tall uh, because obviously they haven't been pruned. You know, I was really happy, man. Um, he was able to generate about $500 of Fijian income, you know, and that is quite substantial for a farmer. If a farmer is able to make about $1,000 a month, pretty much an average uh, wage in Fiji, and he's doing well. 
this is a typical example of who we are uncovering once they get the message across and we can make the connection. And there are many other success stories out there. Again, you know, we just need collaboration with the Ministry of Agriculture, you know, just to get the message across that, you know, we are providing the market access. And when we uncover farmers like that, we actually go and help them and train them and develop them and even help them harvest the, the pods as well and take all the tools we have. I think he's going to be one of the great success stories of 2022. With the $500, you know, he can diversify into other root crops as well, whether it's dalo or kava. You know, Fiji is an exporter of kava. Now you have somebody who's having his livelihood on farming itself. And I want to just reiterate that, you know, the COVID lockdown has, has been very hard on uh, citizens of Fiji. We didn't have the luxury of those stimulus packages and the level of stimulus packages you have, whether you're in Australia, New Zealand, uh, even the US. Those stimulus packages were tremendous. Ours is, is nowhere near there. <laughs> so the impact uh, on the lives of the people uh, has been pretty drastic. For us, we see this as an opportunity where people with land, they can go back and cocoa being a, a, one of the you know, consistent sort of market access for them. And you know, we are happy to you provide that market access because we actually have a shortage of supply based on our demand. You know? and that is a, you know, a success story for a farmer and a typical farmer. We, we continue to uncover daily. That's great. And I appreciate you reiterating that message. I think it's very easy for us to forget that are inundated by news from all over the world and screens that don't seem to stop their scrolling, that there are other realities elsewhere and how we can tap into A, listening to that and, and B, maybe taking action. For those that do hear this and do maybe think, well, what can I do now? You just mentioned also you're in very high demand, but is there something that craft chocolate makers or those who might be interested in social projects could become more aligned with your work? Yeah. First of all, we appreciate their continued support, you know, buying our cocoa. And they also supported us when we were greatly impacted um, by the cyclone, Category 5 cyclone. What we'd like to do is actually embark on a major new planting, you know. We need to see who's out there to assist us, but if we could align some sort of program towards funding new planting, which would actually go to the farmers. What it does is it helps in increasing the supply and increasing the yield. This is something I just have to look for partners out there to assist us in collaborating towards working with the, just a new planting. I think that that is the way to go in reviving cocoa in Fiji. And Arif, you have a really unique insight in that you grew up in Fiji, so this is not a new terrain for you, but I'm very curious in what we're kind of recognizing finally as a global community to see, okay, there is climate collapse, things are changing, the cyclone recently hit you, I'm sure there have been others. What have you seen that either has been helping individuals deal with those maybe onsets or if you can just provide some sort of historical background to, as you remember being young, was that happening with less frequency? Is something more worrying now? Where does that stand? Yeah, that's a great question. 
if you're going back to when I was young, I would say the impact of this or the frequency of this uh, cyclones and flooding is actually uh, is more compared to when I was growing up. Especially, we have a big problem of flooding in Fiji. There hasn't been a solution, a holistic solution. It continues to flood. I mean, just last week we had flooding when there's continuous rain. You know, major towns all around Fiji were flooded. This is a very alarming. You know, we have to look at ways of uh, holistically resolving it. One of the things is, you know, I feel like there may be excessive logging, and without the replanting, the rivers are quickly flooding. You know, yeah, it is alarming. And you know, in 2021, we had Category Five cyclone. We actually destroyed crops, our crops, and as well as the farmers' crops on both the islands. We were really not able to export anything in 2021 put a, our industry to a halt. You know, it's, it's just got to be the most challenging year. There was also COVID. Thank God we are out of it. But I would have to say that 2021 was the single most difficult year of Kakao Fiji and other businesses. You know, we were just getting slammed with uh, COVID and cyclones. Yeah, I don't know what to say. You know, the Fiji is championing climate change. We are championing the revival of uh, all these cocoa trees. We are saying not to, you know, cut it and uh, revive it. There's obviously a market out there, and we are, to our best ability, we're trying to provide market access. I think in our own very way, if we work on a strategic plan to revive, you know, close to maybe even a thousand acres or two thousand hectares of uh, cacao, uh, that could go a long way in contributing to that flooding and the climate change, you know. I hear again and again in many different countries from many different authorities and scientists that the answer in this moment is to plant a tree. It seems like such a simple act, but something that could make a real shift in, in perhaps our collective future. I'm also thinking a lot about knowing that where much of cacao comes from, there are not these stimulus packages. There are not these cushions to help them through situations that might be difficult or coming up in the future and how buyers could do a better job or offer different forms of contracts or systems of payment, or even just, I don't know whether they're loans, what that might look like in your mind of how we could better protect those on the ground with further guarantee. Yeah. You know, that's a great point because we really look forward to our partners in sustaining our industry. I would say the industry as a whole has been very fair. I'm sure they're happy to give us contracts to buy, but unfortunately, you know, we just, we haven't been able to generate the level of supply. And uh, sometimes based on the trust we've built over the years, they fund the purchase, which allows us to sustain uh, buying some of the cocoa beans, which has been very helpful. Then we deliver. So these little things so far has actually helped us. And I feel like the, the pricing is fair. The craft chocolate industry, uh, chocolate makers have been very cognizant about fair pricing. And from my experience, I feel like they've been fair. So they've done their little things. If we can evolve, you know, increase our supply and make this into uh, truly an industry, you know, because I've watched other companies such as Maya Mountain Cacao, you know, they started with a very small volume and they've evolved to a higher volume, but this is through a lot of collaboration. 
hopefully the message gets across. Once we collaborate and there are believers and investors and maybe donors to help on our Cocoa Acceleration Program, we could actually truly have an industry. At that point in time, yes, definitely able to have a more predictable supply and uh, I'm sure they'll be able to enter into contracts to create a win-win situation. You might even have to expand your offerings into coffee and sugar. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, coffee is another interesting project where we haven't uh, diversified yet because we are focused in this. But uh, while coffee is uh, growing in the hills of Fiji, this was again, you know, introduced by the British. This is growing wildly. (laughs) Arefe, you would be willing to share, I know you said the pricing is fair. Could you talk about where that price stands right now, how it might be related to the standard market, the commodity market, and what would happen if maybe bulk buyers came in to ask you for an offer, just to understand the distinguishing factor between those two price points. Yeah, so the wholesale price, we are able to market it is around five US dollars, and that's definitely higher than the, uh, the world market price. You know, unfortunately, we are not actually collaborating with any of the bulk buyers. We receive those orders all the time for bulk purchases, whether it's a container or two containers, etc. Our whole focus is working with the craft chocolate industry, grow our supply as, as they grow their business. Hopefully that's uh, simultaneous, so we're able to uh, continue supplying to their demand. Great. If we can rephrase here. If you encounter a producer who's been selling to the bulk market, at what price point have they been selling their beans and then therefore going into your system or transitioning to what you could offer them through your extension services, what then could they make as a further profit? Let me understand a producer in Fiji is able to sell to the bulk market. Right. Are there other producers that you haven't found yet that are still selling to some bulk market or was that floor completely dropped out? I think that floor is completely dropped out. There is a you know a local chocolate maker who buys pretty much that's it. The majority of the buying is through Cacao Fiji. That's so, really interesting then. So it's almost exclusively a craft buying market. Yeah, it's almost exclusively a craft buying market. It's a very small market, I just want to tell you, a very small industry <laughs> with great potential. Yeah, well, that's why I love uncovering these stories because... I think there can be maybe this sensation that because something is small, it's not valuable. And that's certainly not true. Let me just turn to my notes and see what I need to ask you or where, if you have a direction you want to go, feel free to speak up. Probably you you want to discuss about uh, sort of our struggles and maybe solution. The biggest challenge is to increase our supply of, of our cocoa and the farmers to meet the demands, you know. We are really excited about the Cocoa Acceleration Program, which uh, Ministry of Agriculture has finally decided to collaborate, and they see the logic in that. Let's walk through that. So how does one go about increasing supply? What levers are needed to be pulled? Sure. So number one is we want to increase the farmer base. For example, the case study I gave you of a success story. There are many farmers, and we want to encourage them to go back to cocoa farming and you know, sort of connect to us and we can provide them training. But we are a small company, so we want the Ministry of Agriculture to also allocate resources, just like any other country would do, 
in using their extension services to work with us closely and provide training. And we haven't seen really that unfolding. With that would be greater awareness. Sometimes the farmers want to ferment. You know, unfortunately, most of the time, you know, the flavors are not consistent. They want to ferment and they want to dry. It doesn't meet the standard of uh, centralized fermenting, etc. So the past few years, there was a shift in strategy to empower the farmers to ferment. So unfortunately, we weren't able to buy their fermented beans because we had no idea how many days fermentation and how many days drying and consistency of uh, the flavor. We do a really watchful seven-day fermentation and we check for temperatures to, to ensure that fermentation is working well. We have been able to be consistent with our flavors and you know the buyers are happy. So that's very important for the farmers to understand that we are only doing a wet seed you know, sort of buying program. And that's easy for them. Uh, they can just focus on increasing the yield. You know, with the greater collaboration, we can go out and train them how to prune and take care of the tree, which will increase, uh, lead to increasing the pods. And along with that, what we want to do is, you know, embark on new planting. Whether it's the, you know, traditional forest cereal we have in Fiji, which is quite flavorful, the grafted ones, which is higher yielding. So that's something which is unfolding this year. We, you know, we should have done that a long time ago, but there's need for more of this to happen and a higher volume, which will increase our supply. In having a recollection of trying those beans in 2016, I remember it was recently after entering a phase where I had been given a lot of external information into what was fine flavor cacao and what tasted good and what was of excellent caliber. And there was a lot of messaging coming at me that was Forestero is boring not very flavorful. And I remember trying this sample of yours and thinking, this is not true. (laughs) (laughs) I'm loving this origin. I still believe that way. And I still think that's unfortunate that that's a message that is shared rather widely. So if you could share a moment about, yeah, some of the flavors you encounter or some of the reasons why you think that this is a sturdy stock to continue to invest in. Yeah. So we're happy to maintain our forestero, the Matasawa Levu in Draketi. You know, I think the soil, from my experience, also contributes to the flavor. There's a unique terroir in the hills of Matasawa Levu, which this year we want to embark on a new planting of about 20 acres to continue maintaining that flavor profile. You are aware of the flavor profiles of cacao imparted from that forestero. You know, in 2018, we realized in Viti Levu, which is the main island, there was an area in the west from Reki Reki to Telebu, there was a whole cocoa corridor. So we established a, in a center over there. And the flavor profile is a little different from the other island. But yet, we are marketing it as two different islands. And, you know, we have found that each person with a, a different palate loves the different cacao, whether it's the Matasawa Levu or the Reki Reki. But yeah, the soil does impact uh, along with the, the varietal. Yes, and we still have so much to learn about varietals. And I also hope that if there are scientists or individuals who are interested in studying further about what is happening in Fiji, maybe they could contact you or maybe they just think about these other varying regions of the world where so much needs to be uncovered still about 
what has taken place, what is taking place, and, and what that future could be. Arif, I'm wondering if the last few minutes we have here, you could talk about where you see the future of farming and if that includes the younger generation. Excellent. When our team goes out and we go out to these villages to do buying, you know, we see a lot of youths and children also very interested and they help their uh, their parents in picking the cocoa pods. I really can't say that they'll be surely turn into cocoa farmers, but I certainly hope that the memories of uh, the youth and the children would be firmly implanted like it was on me to help revive cocoa, that they would venture into cocoa farming. And I think Fiji is looking to broad base their economy and diversify from tourism. And I really feel like you know, cocoa farming could be an industry of 10,000 cocoa farmers. We could be going back to the glory days of exporting 500 metric tons, which could easily be absorbed by the market. So we are very optimistic about this and we are very consistent in sticking with our strategy that there will be enough collaborators stepping up and working with us to help revive the industry. I got to say, it's very refreshing to hear optimism. Do you have things that you want this community to know or this industry to know or even chocolate consumers to know about what you're doing at Cacao Fiji that you haven't shared with us thus far? Or to reiterate, always welcome a second edition. Yeah, so we love their support. And, um, you know, it's really uh, satisfying to you you know, just Google who's using our Fiji origin. Like we stumbled across, you know, your package one day. There are so many. And for us, these chocolate makers are an inspiration to keep us going. We see a light, not only at the end of the tunnel, but in the tunnel as well, that these buyers and these chocolate makers in the craft chocolate industry is inspiring us. And it has actually inspired us to start reviving the cocoa industry. We just hope with our plans and with enough collaboration that we are able to increase our supply. So we would really want to have the opportunity to share the unique Fijian cacao and the flavor with the rest of the world because enough people have inquired with us and unfortunately our greatest challenge is supply. We will hopefully walk towards it. Because I think like a chocolate maker, I just have to add in this last one, which uh, I thought of while we were speaking in that last moment. I get very moved when people like yourselves say that they enjoy the partnerships, that they enjoy working and collaborating. And I always wonder if those that witness those packages out in the market that see their name in shining lights uh, actually think that it's doing them justice, if there's messages that are missed, if there's another way, or even what might be the way, in, in your opinion, of how the story of Fiji or the story of Cacao Fiji could be told. Like, what is something you would want people to really hone in on? Great questions. <laughs> you know, when they attribute Cacao Fiji on their packaging, for us, that is very gratifying. Um, because uh, number one, it, it talks about a cacao of Fiji origin. I like to share an example of Ocho chocolate in New Zealand. They had the cacao Fiji uh, name on, on their packaging. 
And uh, in 2018, uh, they won the Gold Award in uh, New Zealand. We are really happy for them, but at the same time, it is so satisfying for us that uh, you know our hard work and uh, our belief in reviving the industry, you know, leads to such standards. You know, further reiterating that we are on course and on pathway to something special. If they could attribute us and our story, or just our name, and it helps us grow our market. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure to get to know you further and to hear about your mission, what you have achieved, the challenges, of course, and uh, what we can expect in the near future. I really hope that everything you desire for comes true. Excellent. Thank you very much.